When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on today's episode, a little Winnipeg Jets potpourri all over the place, including more trade rumors heading into the NHL offseason. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, good to be back at it here. Sorry for the slight delay in the episode, but uh, work comes first. And now that that's out of the way, we can get right into some fun in the midweek as we continue to wait for the offseason to come for the Winnipeg Jets. We do have plenty to get into for this episode, even though there's nothing going on per se, but a few juicy little tidbits flying around that I think might be worth us diving into over the next handful of minutes. CJOB's Tyson Rowicki with us once again. Tyson, how are we doing today? Not going to lie, Brandon. After I know this is a hockey podcast, but after, after that LeBron loss yesterday, I've been been having a bit of a downer today, not gonna lie. Uh yeah, well <laughs> I mean the writing was on the wall, so I don't I don't know if it can be super, super devastating. But it's funny because you know, you say this is a hockey podcast, but I was gonna say that I I put forth a Nikola Jokic like performance in the kitchen earlier today. It was <laughs> it was like a step back three pointer with point one seconds on the shot clock. It, I mean, I was just all over the place in in the best of ways. So I, I'm actually on a bit of a high right now. I'm I'm feeling great. What what did you whip up? So I had I, I made two separate dishes for supper, which is you know how on the ball I was here. Um, but we did on the right side of the burner a little chicken cacciatore, and then on the left side something that I'm a big big fan of, but Peruvian cooking. Did ahi amarillo which is wow. chicken braised in like a Peruvian spicy pepper cream sauce. And then I even, I had rice cook it as well on the top left. Like I, I had all, all the burners <laughs> going, baby. Like it was, it was nonstop. I, I, you know, I watched beat Bobby flay earlier. I, I think I'm ready to go. I think I can take down the flay. Let's not get a little too, not too ahead of ourselves. Uh, that is the all time grill master. You, you are talking about right there. I know. I know. I, I wouldn't even be able to look at him in the face. Just like head down. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. It'd be like um, Jimmy, and just speaking of basketball, it'd be like Jimmy Butler pointing at Grant Williams yeah. after. You just, <laughs> yeah, I, I would 100% be Grant Williams in that exchange. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to gotta have a signature dish, I guess, before I go up against Bobby Flay. But for one night at least, I was a superstar. I felt good. And I had a new – tried out the um, – what was it? Black – Diet blackberry ginger ale too, Whoa. and it's elite. If we, if we want to do like a pop rankings, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a Mount Rushmore drink, and of wow. course, 
five calories per can, so you can't go wrong there. I'm already I'm already filled with aspartame, so that 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 stuff doesn't bother me. <laughs> I'm the pop king too, so I you know you do like pop. You I do, do like I pop. Do. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's uh, slightly transition over to more topical items here, and we will uh, bring up some hockey talk here over the next little while, but. Let's continue this tradition that we've started over the past couple of episodes. We'll do a little bit of trivia here to start off, Tyson, okay? I've come up with a a theme for you to dive into here. All right. And it might be a little bit early for this, but I don't really care. Um, I also don't want to dig up, like, conference finals trivia questions, because that's just that seems like way too much work, and we're basically like, I mean, come on, the, the series are essentially all but over right now, so we're getting pretty close to determining the cup champ. And as we all know, Tyson, the cup champ involves the captain lifting the Stanley Cup, and then once that's done, presenting it to, I guess, the most worthy player amongst his teammates, if we want to call it that. Um, So we're going to do a little bit of trivia based on Stanley Cup handoffs. Oh, boy. (laughs) So Yeah, some of these are a little bit easier. Some are some doozies. But I'm intrigued to see how how well you're able to do here. So I'll I'll throw a couple your way, and we'll see uh, what your batting average is going to be on this one, okay? Okay, I'm ready. You know, actually, well, what was the... (laughs) I was literally going to say, who won the cup last year? <laughs> Great start to trivia. Do you remember who, what, what the uh, the handoff was last year for the Colorado Avalanche? Um, was it one of the Johnsons? It was a Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. All right, that's good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you're on the ball here, Tyson. So I, I, I appreciate that. Um, so let's get into it here. I got I got a list. We'll kind of go all over the place. Um, but what we'll do here is we'll start off. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the tradition of the Stanley Cup handoff actually started in 1994. It's a relatively recent tradition um, where the, the the captain lifts the trophy and then hands it off to one player and they go one by one by one by one. Uh, before that, it was always kind of like a team thing. So it, it just... And I mean, that's what I'm going by off this article here. Uh, but the, the, that's when the tradition started was in 1994. And of course, we all know what happened in 1994. The New York Rangers winning the Stanley Cup. Mark Messier laughing like an absolute maniac as he takes the cup from Bettman. We all know that part of it. But do you know who he handed it off to, Tyson? Oh, wow. Uh, Ryan Leach? That's a, that's a great guess. Um, shockingly, the answer is Kevin Lowe, who had already won... <laughs> Four, four or five Stanley Cups. How about that, right? Like the, uh, 95% of the Rangers hadn't won before. And he hands it off to um, the one guy that had been there, done that with them all those years. But yeah, Kevin Lowe was the first. So I guess he was, because that's, that's history. Kevin Lowe was the first ever first Stanley Cup handoff in NHL history. So bit of a tough one there for you, but we'll move on here. I'll do one of the, might be a little bit easier for you. I guess we'll make this a, a, a double doozy, okay? All right. Unfortunately, Chicago has won a couple of Stanley Cups. Um, the most recent being 2015, 
and their first of their dynastic run being in 2010. 2010, sadly, in Philadelphia. Um, 2015, the last one there against Tampa Bay. Can you name either one of those? Who got the first Stanley Cup handoff in 2010? And then who got it in 2015? 2010, I got to go Hosa. Yeah, there you go, Dyson. Taves to Hosa. 2015. Ooh. That one's cause like there's there's gonna be a bunch of guys who already won the cup on that team, it, so it's not it, gonna be them. It's, it's an it's an old dude that hadn't won it before. Oh, I can I can picture him too, and I can't remember his name. Did they trade for him at the deadline? They did, yes. Uh the Vermet? That's a good guess, Tyson, and you're gonna be very upset that you got this wrong. But it was the Finnish god of defense himself, Kimo oh. Tiivanen. Oh, Kimo! Oh, that is just that because I remember that playoffs too being like, oh, I hate the Blackhawks, but they gotta get it for Kimo. But it was for Kimo yeah. one of my favorite players of all time. I love Kimo Tiivanen. He's yeah. the ultimate warrior. Yeah, he. I, I would put him on the Mount Rushmore of underrated NHLers. 100%. Just like never got the credit that he totally deserved, but he was yeah, yeah amazing, amazing even, defenseman there. Um, so that means like in Nashville, one, it was yeah, unbelievable. One for two there, so that's not at least you get on the board. So I, I, I'm I'm glad with that. I don't know if you're going to get this one here, but we'll cap it off uh, with this, Tyson. There have been two instances um, since the so-called tradition got started, where the first person to receive the cup was not a player on the team oh no can you name those two people and i'll give you a hint they were both part of the same team the same franchise okay so it wasn't the same year right like they didn't not the same year yeah two separate years but the same franchise and the same captain that did it too um wasn't la right no, it was not. I'll 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 make it even easier for you. It was it was the Red Wings. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's who else I was thinking. Ah, uh, man, <laughs> Kenny Holland. I get uh... <laughs> no, that would have been awesome. Um, but yeah, yeah, Mike Illich. Um, in '97, I believe it was their first. Yeah, it was '97. Their first cup, first cup in 43 years. And he handed it to Mike Illich, Steve Eisenman did, which, wow. hey, thank God that didn't catch on. Um, <laughs> but then surprise, or not surprisingly, because I remember this, but um, in the last, I think it was in 02, uh, Stevie Y handed it to Scotty Bowman first. And that was uh, Scotty Bowman retiring, retiring as a head coach in the NHL. And what was badass about it is that somehow Scotty had skates on. And he's just skated around the ice with the Stanley <laughs> Cup. It was awesome. Like, yeah, he, he knew it was a shoe-in, so he brought his skates to the celebration. <laughs> that is awesome. And yeah, that's how it got done there. All right, not too bad. I, you got a couple right there. Those, those are some difficult ones. I mean, if you go through the list, there's some obvious ones, but other ones where you're like, uh, that never happened? Give me one that- more. Give me one more. Oh, I just closed it too. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, if you if you wanted an impossible one, I could give you Tampa Bay in 04, Um when Dave Andrzejczyk lifted it up. If you get it right, I will literally give you a thousand dollars. I don't even. I'm trying to think of like I don't know enough of the 
the bottom six of those teams. Uh, so I'll just throw out uh Oh, what's that guy? I I, I he's like a kind of a I I forget his name. I'm not gonna. I'll just go Happy Bulin. No, it was Tim Taylor. Oh, okay. I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> that would have been yeah. <laughs> I know that that I think I think if you know that one and nobody else that like you will forever stump anybody in in trivia history with that one. <laughs> um, let me see if I can find because I was I, I'm I'm pretty good at figuring out who gets it from from who. I'm intrigued to see how the Penguins did it when they won their first. Because nothing really pops off to me. There's one name that did, but I don't know. Yeah, here it is. Oh, I was right. Do you, okay, well, we'll end it there. Penguins in 09. Who did Crosby give it to? Gonchar? Good guess. Uh, Bill Guerin. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Bill Guerin's first cup. All right. Unfortunately, we have to end this uh, on a Pittsburgh high note. Um, fortunately for us, though, there aren't going to be too many penguin titles over the next little bit, so um, we can uh, work on that. But in the meantime, let's shift gears back over to the Winnipeg Jets. And boy, would it be nice to figure out who would be the Winnipeg Jets' initial cup handoff. Uh, we'll see how many years we have to uh, wait until we, we find out the answer to that. I mean, we got to figure out who's going to be the one lifting the cup first before we talk about who's the, the handoff going to be. But some pretty juicy rumors, Tyson, or news and, and tidbits about the Winnipeg Jets over the last couple of days here as we, I mean, let's face it, we're on the doorstep of the cup final, really probably two weeks away from things going completely bananas uh, all over the NHL, but specifically in Winnipeg. And the reason for that being, Frank Saravalli of the Daily Faceoff on the DFO Rundown podcast was asked the question, um, with Craig Conroy becoming the new GM of the Calgary Flames, would Calgary be the busiest team in Canada in regards to trades this upcoming offseason? And he was asked, buy or sell on that? And Frank's answer was sell. And you might guess where I'm going with this, but he went that the Winnipeg Jets would be the busiest trade team north of the border in this upcoming offseason, Tyson. I mean, newsworthy in the sense that Toronto and Edmonton had spectacular flameouts in the second round. Um, and then you have, I mean, Calgary with all this kind of upheaval, Vancouver, nobody knows what anybody's going to do. And then Ottawa, I mean, ownership can completely turn everything upside down there. I mean, yeah, I don't think Montreal is going to be crazy busy. But, I mean, there there is going to be a ton of movement up north of the border. Do you, do you agree with, with Frank on that one, that the Jets are going to be the most trade-happy team this offseason in Canada? Well, I'm going to agree with Frank just because I think, by the sounds of it, it seems like he might know something. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> with, the, with the Jets, over the past couple of years, it's been so things have been kept tight to the vest, right? Like there hasn't been a lot of stuff that's coming out. And with hearing like something like that, that they're going to be one of the busiest teams, you got to think that maybe some of these players agents are going out to Frank or to someone that Frank is close with. And he's saying, you know, these meetings that the jets are having with some of their star players, they're not going as good as the jets wanted. And I think that's might be what we're getting at here. And I think that because you got to know, Especially, especially on those top guys, you're going to have to know before the playoffs even end, right? Because as soon as those playoffs end, teams are going to start calling, and they're going to start. I, I, I the think they know now. I think they know now. 
yeah. in all honesty. Like, or at least you have like a 95% leaning as to where they're going to go, right? Yeah, totally. And that's why I. it seems like, I don't know, obviously we have no idea who Frank may be speaking with, but it sounds like there's a couple guys on the team that their meetings might not have gone as well as a couple, some fans and definitely management would have wanted. So it's that's going to be very interesting. Uh, this is Bark Bifley. Um, I have some news <laughs> on uh, <laughs> like I wonder if that's the guy calling Frank up. I mean, it, it is newsworthy or noteworthy, I should say, that Frank says this from a an insider, but a separate publication, The Athletic. And two of their three main writers have cobbled together a trade bait board with four of the eight Winnipeg Jets on it in their top eight. Um, and TSN as well has gone out on, a, on a numerous occasions saying that the Jets are going to be busy. You're talking about you know basically every outlet out there right now insinuating that something juicy is percolating with Winnipeg right now. It, it feels different to me than last year. Could be, could, I, I could have Charlie Brown syndrome all over again, but it just it does feel a lot different here. Um, and I guess trade happy and who's going to make the most significant trades are two different things, perhaps. Especially if Toronto is going to be in the market and, and, and make a big move or two. But I, I, I think I might agree with that, Tyson. And it might even be that Winnipeg and Calgary are trade partners in, in one of these scenarios. Um, but I, I mean, I, I would guess that part of it's pretty much that, you know, everybody assumes that Dubois is, is all but gone at this point. Um, if Blake Wheeler has one foot out the door, that's another name that follows right there. And then we get into the situation from that point on, if we assume both of those guys are, are all but gone right now, do Shifley and Hellebuck want to even re-up at this point? And if they don't, then, I mean, there's two more names, right? And so everything can kind of cascade pretty quickly here. I I I think there's enough smoke around this whole situation here that yeah you're probably thinking you know what there's going to be three four guys that are going to be moved maybe by the time the draft happens which is which is pretty wild you know basically a month away we might see a complete a complete roster reconfiguration by by Chevy in just the span of a couple of weeks like it's it's going to happen pretty quickly here I mean Wheeler to me might be buyout as opposed to a trade but either way movement wise. I I would probably agree too, and that doesn't even then get into the fact that you know there's a logjam on the blue line, <laughs> and then the guy and, and and the team probably needs to move on from. I mean, Logan Stanley demanded a trade. Uh, you probably need to move one of the veterans to make room for Sandberg and Chisholm, unless you want to lose Chisholm on waivers, like you did with Kovacevic the year before. There, there's just a lot of stuff that needs to happen in a short amount of time. So I, I would probably agree with Frank. And I think a lot of Jets fans are going to be excited by that news. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very exciting. I'm super pumped for the offseason, to be honest. And I, I, the way that these conference finals are going, I just want it to be done. Yeah, let's just, let's just get Florida. Let's just get a Florida sweep in the conference finals, sweep in the cup finals. And let's get this offseason going. I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I agree with. I mean, the one now we, sh- we let, let's pivot a little bit here, but but kind of along those lines, because <laughs> the Florida Panthers are currently in the midst of sending a third consecutive franchise into an existential tailspin, <laughs> because the Boston Bruins are going to make moves, 
the Maple Leafs have already made moves. What what do you what do you think about Carolina? Who like have had success and I would argue a model franchise probably in the NHL, but they just haven't gotten over the hump just yet. And that's this would be if they lose in game four, two conference finals in the last three or four years that they've been swept in. So haven't even, you know, gotten past round two, but haven't won a round three matchup since this group's been together. I I, I do wonder there was a little bit of smoke last year with Carolina and Winnipeg. I wonder if the Hurricanes might be a team that you know what? We're close. We're close. We had some guys injured, but maybe it's splash time. Like, let, maybe let's make a big, big move here. And I, I, I don't know what you think about that. Like, do you, do you think there's the possibility that something like that could happen? And Winnipeg could be a potential option for Carolina. Well, I, you see, with Carolina, like that's this is what well-run franchises do: is they get out ahead of things, right? Like they, they make moves. They don't wait to see how the situation plays out before making a move. They make a move to make a better situation for themselves. And I, I 100% could see Carolina going going hard after some of these guys. And, and then the one name that really stands out to me with Carolina is Connor Hallibuck. Yeah. I mean, you, had, you had Connor Hallibuck to the Carolina Hurricanes, and I don't know how many goals teams are going to score against them in the playoffs. Like, And that's I think that's kind of one of your biggest problems right now is that you know, Antti Ranta and Freddie Anderson, they're fine. They're fine goalies, but both are band-aids. Can't stay healthy. Like, it's just, you need to make, you you need to have some stability in that if you're Carolina. Because the past couple of years, you've just had none. You've had, like, guys have had good seasons, but you don't have that, com- it's sort of like a calming force. And Freddie's been fine, but it's just, I, you. there's an upgrade to be had there. And you well, they're the they're both free agents, right? I mean, yeah, Fre- totally. Freddie is for sure, and I'm I'm pretty sure Ronta is as well. I know Carolina has the um, I, I always Kiochkev or whatever, <laughs> however you pronounce his his last name, Kachekov. Um, that's right. Um, but I I I do wonder if Carolina is a bit of a sleeper Hellebuck team for for that reason, and it's also a team too that. With with Eric Tolsky seemingly back in the fold, uh, appears to be out of the running for the Penguins GM job. They're not a team that you can pull a fast one on, right? Like they're you're, you're not going to be dumping your trash into Carolina and you know hoping that you can get somebody right. Like they're going to be well aware of who can help and who can't. And I, I I I wonder if you know a guy like Tolsky who sees some of the you know beyond the traditional numbers looks at a guy like Hellebuck and thinks, hey, you know Don, this is a guy that. He could be the difference for us come playoff. I know they they've struggled to score goals in the past, but also helps when you don't give up any as well. <laughs> and, and Hellebuck might be able to do that for them. But even like a, a Shifley as well, potentially, right? Like if they're just looking for more firepower, boom, Mark, Mark Shifley going to Carolina is is an instant winner. And if you're if you're you know from a Carolina perspective, concerned about some of the I don't know work work ethic. Concerns with with Shifley, off ice concerns with Shifley, is that going to last with Rod Brindamore? <laughs> and and if Rod can can get him turned around, like is that not a potentially elite, impactful player that you're quiet right? So I, I wouldn't shoo away Carolina just yet. And to be honest, Tyson, I I made this known all throughout last off season that I thought Carolina was the perfect team to ship out Mark Shifley to. 
uh, because you could center a package around Marty Nikash and probably find yourself at a pretty good spot. And there were some rumors that that was potentially on the table. Never happened. And what do you know? Nikash is above a point of game player for, for Carolina during the regular season there. And I think obviously an untouchable moving forward. So I mean, maybe Winnipeg Seth Jarvis might be an option. I, I don't know. But I do think Carolina could be one of those teams that you look at and go, huh, maybe, maybe we can make some do with this one here. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say Seth Jarvis is 100% a guy that they'd be looking at. You know, this guy isn't as much of a sexy name, and it's probably not a name Jets fans want to hear, but I would assume Kakaniemi would be in those discussions too. It seems like Carolina kind of wants to move on from him. And you look at Carolina's defense, I mean, you could – they got guys that they're going to have to pay coming up. And I think that you could potentially snag one of those guys. Like, who knows? Maybe you get a Brady Shea. I mean, you're not getting Slavin or Pesci. Let's come on. Yeah. <laughs> but like, if you could get a Brady Shea too in that package, you go with Seth Jarvis, Seth Jarvis, Brady Shea, and a prospect or a pick. Like, that's a pretty good haul for, for one of those guys, especially Mark Shifley too. And I, I do agree with you that. Rod Brendamore seems like kind of the perfect guy to get Shifley back on track. The, the one thing with Shifley throughout his career is that he does have, because he's such, uh, and he's called himself this, he's such a hockey nerd, that it seems like he does respect, like he, him and Dale Howarchuk, it's such a, they had such a bond together. And then even Adam Oates and Mark Shifley. Like a lot of, a lot of people aren't totally familiar that Mark, that Mark Shifley works a lot with Adam Oates in the offseason on his skill set. And he's got tons of respect for Adam Oates too, so. That's just kind of fitting that play that that archetype there of having a guy who's who's been in the league and has put up numbers and has been in almost every situation. I think Rod Brendamore could really really push the right buttons with Shifley and you know Jets fans would would rather see him become that player in Winnipeg for sure. But I think Carolina would be a pretty good spot for Shifley and I think that that's something that like if they they they're so clearly missing guys like Svechnikov and patch ready right now like they you could tell like they just don't have that guy that can put the puck in the net uh, at, the, at a high level and it's not even a high level like you just need a guy that when he has when he has the puck in space teams start panicking like d-men start leaving start moving out of their position to try and try and help d on that and so i think that that's a hundred percent like Shifley on with Aho on the power play it would be insane well and i mean Carolina could also have Shifley out there on the wing. I mean, they've got Aho and Stahl. I mean, depends what happens with Cock and Yemi, right? But, like, they've got they're, – they're pretty deep down the middle. So, if you're worried about that, too, Shifley on the wing might – yeah, I, I, I do I do think Carolina makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, what what is interesting, too, Tyson, and we kind of touched on this in an episode or two back, but, you know, Carolina being a sleeper hellebuck option, that 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 does make sense. They They, they – probably have a you know a decent amount of assets compared to some of the other teams but the athletic had an article um n- not from Murata Tej but from Shana Goldman looking at potential trade destinations for Connor Hellebuck and what stood out to me with that is that there's obviously going to be teams interested but de- depending on either fit or timeline or assets there's not really a lot of great trade partners from a Winnipeg Jets perspective and uh, yeah, that 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 kind of is what's giving me pause on potentially moving on from Hellebuck, unless he's just flat out saying, "I'm not coming back. Do your best to move me now because it's not going to be pretty." 
Uh, but I mean, Buffalo would make sense, but is Buffalo going to do it with Devin Levi ready to go relatively soon? Would a platoon not make more sense as opposed to a superstar goalie? Toronto would make sense fit wise. They have no real assets to give Winnipeg. I, w- I would imagine, right? Edmonton, maybe. Neat. Well, okay. Well, okay, maybe, 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 maybe. But then you're in the same spot where Nylander, a guy with one year left on his deal, going to be tough to, to to sell him on on signing long term in Winnipeg after spending the past however many years in Toronto. Um, but then you have Edmonton, who maybe maybe that's the way, but they would have to shed salary too to, to fit Connor Hellebuck in. Um, New Jersey, may, may, is is New Jersey maybe like what what would be the best fit? from a Jets perspective in terms of a potential trade partner. Yeah, I don't Buffalo, I I like there's a lot of pieces on Buffalo that you could could go after. I mean, I, I yeah, I, well, I, I, I guess on... may, let me let me rephrase it. Like what is the best realistic fit for the Jets? Because Buffalo has a lot of pieces, but like why would I I really don't understand why Buffalo would do that whatsoever. Yeah, I need me either, and especially with Devin Levy. The only way would be if Devin Levy's coming back at a trade from Buffalo, and then at that point, like you said, what do you like? What's the point, really? You know, like which I think I think if you're the Jets, that's a massive home run. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree with you 100. percent Uh, yeah, the, the the Devils, the Devils would make sense, but at the same time, I they their assets are kind of low after the Timo Meyer trade, and how much do they really want to go all in with this team that? hasn't totally proven a lot of things yet unless like you could get a guy like Nemich like that that, that would probably be the, what I would be looking at if I was yeah, I would be saying what do you guys think about a, a hellebuck for Nemich swap that's and maybe add a, piece, add a piece from New Jersey a small piece but you get the guy that was drafted number two overall I think that's a pretty that's a pretty good haul and I think it's something that Jersey would definitely consider because yeah He's a he's a very very good prospect, but you're not losing a bunch of capital, right? Like it's just a one for one swap, and I think that Jersey, seeing the potential that would add to their team now, and I mean he's going to be a great goalie for the next at least five years, so I I could definitely see New Jersey being hesitant to trade Nemich, but I think if it came down to it, I think they would be willing to move him. That that wouldn't be a bad fallback option for the Jets to to get the number two pick from from a year ago. Um, if it you know push came to shove and you had to to move on from Connor Hellebuck there, I, I still have my doubts. But I mean, I th- I think I think it's got even though Carolina is a sleeper team for me, I I just I see them making a move for a Shifley as opposed to a Hellebuck. To to me, L.A. New Jersey is is probably Winnipeg's best shot at at getting a massive haul. I mean, LA is just loaded, 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 loaded with prospects. And I mean, up front and on the back end too. I mean, you could double dip or just get, you know, I mean, the, the, the dream obviously is trying to pry Quinton Byfield out of Los Angeles. But I mean, Hey, you know, you wonder with the Kings, if you did a trade and let's just for, I mean, let's just say this is the basis of it, but you send Hellebuck to LA you take on Cal Peterson's contract, and that gets you Quinton Byfield. I, I I wonder I wonder how much LA would would be willing to do something like that because not only are you getting a guy like Connor Hellebuck, but you're also 
I mean, you're talking about a cap casualty that that might cost you a first round pick to get out of. You know what I mean? If you tried to trade that to an Arizona or Chicago or something like that, like maybe that might be the route for the Jets to go. And even with the New Jersey trade, you probably have to take on Blackwood, right? Or, or some kind of a, I, I, I like I, I think that's probably how it would go. I think with one of the Jets' big guns is if you're kind of forced into rebuilding on the fly, maximizing the return you get by taking on some some dead cap makes makes a lot of sense from Chevy's perspective. Yeah, I love that idea, especially and it's a terrible contract for Cal Peterson. I don't know what the Kings were doing. But it's also not that long. Like it's, it's it's two more years, right? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a soak, but it's not like a Jack Campbell contract, right? Where you're eating it for four years, four or five years. So I, I like that idea. And I wish more GMs would do stuff like that. Like if you're moving out a big name player at that point, who cares what salary you're taking back, right? Like you know what I mean? It's just if you can maximize your your asset by taking back an asset that has negative value. I, I'm the all like Quentin Byfield would be such a a home run trade acquisition, a guy that you could bring up from the from like a young age and make the face of your franchise. He would be the new face of the Winnipeg Jets, and I, it would just give that team like this extra spark. Now he could bust, which I don't think he will, but there's always that possibility. But I think it's a I, if and obviously we're assuming that Hellebuck is wanting out. I think that. Byfield's literally the best asset that you could you could realistically get for Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, it'd be tough to find somebody else out there. I, yeah, I'm I'm a big big believer. I, I always have been. I mean, he's just he's so close to figuring it out. Like he's right. And I thought in the playoffs, it's like, oh my gosh, he's just going to be such a force when it all finally comes together. For and he's only 20 still. Like I mean, kid could be in junior right now. And then they're they're trying him out, and he's you know still playing a pretty decent sized role with the Kings. Yeah, I, that that if if you're going rebuild to me, Byfield, it's just whatever it takes. Get that guy here. I mean, having a six foot five center down the middle like that for the next ten plus years is is the dream, and it's actually possible for the Jets. So that that's the other kind of neat part about that. Um, now we touched on Ellibuck there. We touched on Shafley a little bit. Let's wrap up the episode quickly here, Tyson. Um, with a look at one of the other core four jets that is going to be on the trade block. Might already be, I mean, the trade might already be done for all we know. <laughs> but you brought this to my attention. Um, but from a publication uh from a Montreal perspective, a potential Pierre Luc Dubois trade. And the deal would be, it sounds like I don't know if it would be for certain just this or if anything else gets thrown in there. Um but if PLD got his wish and went out to Montreal, the rumored return would be Kirby Doc and a first-round pick. Unfortunately, not the fifth overall pick, but the 31st overall pick in this year's draft. Is that is that correct? Doc and 31? Yes. Then that would be from the, the Panthers and the Sherrod deal. That's the, right. So 31-32. We yeah, assume at I, this I, point. I, is is I that... Think- is that good enough? I think so. I really, I honestly do. I think that Kirby Doc is, I, I thought that he took a big stride this year, Kirby Doc in Montreal. I think Marty St. Louis was a big help. And I mean, you're playing on the line with Cole, Cole Caulfield, but you come to Winnipeg, you're going to be playing with Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers. And I, like, I just think that a guy like 
like that with that much skill, I think that he would benefit so greatly from it. And I think that he could potentially fill that Dubois role. And I think even in the next couple of years, I don't know how far that gap's going to be. I think, I, th- I think Kirby Doc has the potential to really close that gap with Pierre-Luc Dubois. And so for me, you're getting a guy that's going to be cost-controlled and you're adding, albeit a late round, a very late round first, but still a late round first. You can do whatever you want with that. You can trade up, you can trade down. Like you, you just collect more assets. And that's well, what you, you, dra- you drafted Brad Lambert late first round. Yeah. Right? Like it's, I know, I, I mean, that that's usually the the outlier. I mean, generally, late first, second round picks are guys that don't make much of an impact. But yeah, it's a lottery ticket, and then you can do with it whatever you want, right? Um, for those that are maybe unaware of of Kirby Doc's game this past season, I had to get the calculator out. But uh, Kirby Doc missed a bunch of time, but he was on pace for just under sixty points this past year. They got on pace for fifty eight points. And, and he was with really the, heating up before his injury. Like he was really starting to put it all together because I had him right. on my fantasy. Yeah, uh, fifty-three <laughs> point. He was on pace for fifty-three. I, I, I did my calculator and I still got it wrong. Um, but <laughs> on pace for fifty-three points. So twenty-two-year-old, fifty-three point season. I mean, cut <laughs> a lap. It's not that far off from what Dubois is giving you right now, point production-wise. Right? Like, I mean, ten-ish points difference. You might think that Doc could maybe bridge the gap over the next little bit. You would hope or assume that maybe there's a little bit more growth in his game than there is with Dubois right now. I would say this might sound harsh, but I would say that would be acceptable. Like it, it wouldn't be a bad trade. I don't think it's a blow your socks off trade, but that seems like a reasonable, you know, like <laughs> I, I saw. Uh, Marana Tesh said Chevy last year asked for Nick Suzuki at the at, at at the draft for for Pierre Luc Dubois, and that's a typical Chevy. Like, why doesn't Chevy make trades? Well, probably because he asked for guys like Nick Suzuki in trades. <laughs> but uh, it it seems like like that that's Chevy's ask, and then Montreal comes back with how about Josh Anderson and Christian Dvorak, and so both groups are like, here's our unreasonable ask. That it's like, how about Doc and a late first? Then it's like, oh, okay, that. It feels like the compromise trade there. So I don't know if I would be, I don't think I would be ecstatic over that, but I, I think, I think that would be solid. I think that would be a good, like a, like a B, a good solid B, maybe a B plus type of trade for the Jets. If if they were able to do something like that. And then it's just going to be, can you develop Kirby doc into, instead of a 53 point centerman, a guy that can get you maybe, 65 70 points and might not be an elite number one but can be a really really good number two maybe even elite number two uh centerman on a on a, on a playoff contending team and then maybe byfield's your legitimate number one you know tell you what if they if, if they went rebuild ish and then somehow ended up with byfield and doc down the middle All i you day. could you <laughs> could convince me that rebuild's the way to go <laughs> I, I I think I might be on board with the youth movement at that point. And I, I think Jets fans would be over the moon at that. Almost no matter how they went about to get those guys. So kind of exciting, kind of intriguing that. Hey, I mean, might not be you solve all your issues with, with all of these moves here with your pending free agents. But, man, to have your one-two punch down the middle set up for potentially uh, – 
a decade or so. That's that's kind of exciting stuff. We'll see if it plays yeah. out that way. We've we've only got a couple more weeks until the uh, until the rubber meets the road. We're getting pretty close to this here, and we'll uh, be with you guys every step of the way. But that's where we'll cap off the episode there. And we'll head into the rest of the week in style and get ready for our next episode to wrap things up during the week on Friday morning. But until then, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Skates and Plates here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki, CJOB's Tyson Rewicki with us once again. We'll get back at it, like I said, to close out the work week Friday with another beauty, maybe even a what if to head into the latter part of the month of May. Until then, though, have a great rest of your week. Stay safe and have fun, everybody. Peace.